0: Welcome back, everybody, to another uh, Meet the Authors. We've got a great group joining us today talking about HOP. So who do we have with us, Gary?
1: Well, Tamara, um, I'm really, really excited um, to say that not only do we have one author or two authors or three authors, we actually have four authors today. And what they're going to talk about is their latest book, The Four Ds for HOP and Learning Teams, a practical how-to guide to facilitate learning from everyday work, critical and dynamic risk with the four Ds. With that title, that's probably all we need for authors. So we want to get into it. So I want to say a real thank you for authors because we have some folks that are up early, really early in the morning. So from Auckland, we have Brett Sutton, 3 a.m. there. Um, One o'clock, it's Brett Robinson from Melbourne. And Josh Bryan from Brisbane. And over in the West Coast with me in Vancouver, it's Jeff Lith at, And it's 8 a.m. So we're having our breakfast coffee, right? This has been obviously a really, truly collaborative effort. You can look at the geographical spread, the different time zones. And my understanding, too, that there are even other contributors in the book. So we want to look at that. Well, let me start off by um, asking Brent um, Sutton, and there's two Brents, so um, I'll have to say Brent Sutton or Brent Robinson, be clear. This is a fourth book in the Learning Team series. Now, on our April 2021 Meet the Author show, we actually had Brent Sutton, Brent Robinson, and Glynis McCarthy introduce your, foot- your first book, which was The Practice of Learning Teams. So clearly, this book is another collaboration, and it's really interesting because last month we had Bob Edwards come, come on and talk about his book, and the forward was produced by Todd Clonklin. Well, what do you know? We have another book where Todd has written that forward as well. So great introductions, and well, Brett, can you fill us in um, that maybe what's the gap between what was
2: happening in books two and three? Two and three. Sure. Well, look, thanks, Gary, and, and uh, good to see everyone this morning. Um really, book, book two is when we first introduced this notion of learning from everyday work back in 2021. Um, and we introduced it as a paper, a white paper, to, to get the conversations going with people. And we gave them a little bit of insights. Uh, book three was our first foray into creating a learning journal for Hop and Learning Teams. And once again, that really came about. From the community, basically saying, you know, how do we go about improving practice? And we know that reflection is a really important part of, of learning. So we built a reflective journal to help guide people through that process.
1: Okay, great. Well, the four Ds, um, Jeff Lith, you had a lot of um, involvement in coming up with the four Ds. Can you share with how you how you did that?
3: sure as as four as a set of four um i think it it really began in 2018 um in las vegas because what happens in vegas doesn't always stay in vegas i suppose (laughs) the um ivan puplity was making a presentation there and uh, as he didn't have a slide on this it was just kind of a a story told in passing but he mentioned uh coming out of the u.s air force Um, the kind of final order to a new pilot would be don't do anything dumb, dangerous, or different. And uh, given the military context and everything, that was interesting. But he said he came to the U.S. Forest Service and was applying, you know, a lot of these principles uh, quite early on. And so he flipped those three questions to be proactive, rather than a command, rather than a you know, a, a sort of a controlling tone. Um, he flipped them in the U S forest service to say, um, tell us when something seems, uh, dumb, dangerous, or, or, or different. And so he switched that into that proactive mode and that really struck me. And I pondered that for a while thinking about, uh, my industrial clients and the kinds of conversations we wanted to start. And it, it felt a bit like a three-legged table, uh, mm-hmm. for some reason. And, uh, I think the other thing, uh, we added, uh, so we added difficult for industrial operations, um, and then it became a set. It became a, a little set of questions that, uh, that I thought would be really useful in, in just getting right into starting these conversations with our frontline experts.
1: Ah, great. Thanks for that. Well, Josh, why don't we start going through the four D's? and can you tell us wh- what's dumb about
4: yeah, it's, um, the first of the Ds is really about sense-making. So um, we really need to get an understanding of the, of the groups, of these work groups, um, and getting their experiences about, you know, what actually makes sense and doesn't make sense. Sometimes there's critical information that we give out to our workforce and we think that the message has got through. Um, but to them, it actually like it makes no sense the way that we've communicated that. Um, what we found a lot with asking this question about, oh, look, you know, can you tell me about things that are dumb in this area is that actually it's risen a lot of waste um, where things are repeated. People might do inductions three times to get onto a site, um, you know, and they're all exactly the same, same thing. So, you know, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, why do we have to do it that way? That's what that question's all about. And what we're trying to do is actually show a lot of appreciation about their work environment um, and what's actually makes sense and doesn't make sense to them because we're the, we're the ones who create that. Um, And it's also, you know, whenever we've had an event, we always put yourself in that other person's shoes. Like why did it make sense for them to do it at that time? Um, So, yeah, by asking that first question, you know, can you tell me what's dumb? Just it's all that framing around sense-making.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Do do, do you kind of get, blank stares when you do ask that question what's dumb about but what's no, you know? but
4: it's but the thing is that's common language in a frontline worker like you know tell me uh, you know tell me about the tell me about the dumb things that we make you do to, and and they will open up immediately
1: ah uh, good okay good to know well brad robinson dangerous sounds like something to do with safety risk can you can you expand on that
5: yeah thanks gary yeah, what what we're seeing with dangerous and the way that we've been using dangerous is that the, the organisation looks at a task specifically and says, you know, there's some danger there. There's some, we've a, a, we've assessed the risk. What does that risk mean? On a lot of people,
4: including the Trump campaign, we've
5: um, so it's an organisational context, and so they might have used a five by five matrix or whatever it is to determine some risk, but what we're using it with with the four d's is how does the worker see risk and it's the context that they're working in so you know an example would be on a construction site you know we've assessed the risk at three or twelve whatever you know number the organization likes to use but Mm -hmm. the workers are seeing dangerous differently because they might have a lot of uh, mobile plant moving around them so that's where the four Ds are feeding that back to the organisation to put context around it from the workers' point of view or the frontline teams' point of view, and so that's that's where dangerous really plays a really important part in the four Ds. Yeah.
1: Okay. I understand that. Good.
0: Gary, um, I'm just going to interrupt for one second. Sure. Uh, sorry. I'm going to ask the audience to make sure that you're muting. Um, there's a lot of people breaking into mics, and so I will be muting people if you if your mic opens. Go ahead, Gary.
1: Okay, great. Okay. Well, Jeff, you kind of got into adding this difficult as the fourth. G. Can you go into a bit deeper into that? How did how did it come about?
3: I, you know, I think at the time, well, so the way the first three Ds, the original first three Ds showed up, it, it, it seemed to be like it was like north, south and east, you know, with no west. I've always talked about these D's as as like the cardinal points of the compass, and so it did feel like something was lacking. Mm. And so when I was thinking about it, you know industrial ops and the the places where I hang out, the workplaces I hang out in, um, you know, I think too there was had been an incident around that time that that really did involve uh, uh, workers encountering difficulty in a task, and um, in that case, it it had a horrible Outcome: There was some some difficulty they encountered. They were close to close to finished. They tried harder without questioning the source of that difficulty, and it ended up horribly. And somebody was um, killed, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, it really made sense that if we're inquiring about these sort of four cardinal points of operational rubs operate anything holding us back from from peak performance or understanding uh peak performance it really seemed like difficulty and performance of task uh really represented a a full quadrant there of these four cardinal points we wanted to uh we wanted to be inquiring about
1: yeah yeah I know that um what quite often we like we like what we call stable systems and they just seem to work here but I remember think um, thick pups in the book that Todd Kal states that death hides in normal work. That's right That stable systems make risk detection difficult. can you can you expand on that?
3: Well, that's exactly it. Um, you know it's it's our traditional i I had felt in my career that our traditional ways of 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 inquiring and about that really fell short, and it might have been our you know our approach to safety professionals or a disconnect with the workforce or or some hindrance um so you know we really wanted to know um we really wanted to empathetically understand and um and really experience or, or hear a lot about the detailed experience of the performance of work from their perspective and and it is exactly that um how these small weak signals that wouldn't traditionally be shared or often are not traditionally shared uh, can be really significant. Um, and so in order to unpack the, the you know, the, the sneaky ways that death hides in, in uh, ordinary work, uh, you know, difficulty was a huge part of that.
1: Um, I see. Okay. Well, let's go back to Josh and just talk a bit about the last D, which is different. And in the book, can you explain this in terms of weak signals?
4: Yeah. So if um, if the first D dumb is about sense making, and then you've got dangerous is around risk, and then difficult is around challenge. What difference is is it's really about change. It's those asking the worker, you know, how are you navigating how you planned your day and how's that going? Um, and you could link that back to, you know, how how was work imagined and and how's work is done today. Um, these what a different can do is really. Uh, unveil weak signals uh, and these weak signals can can really be quite a good uh, indicator of any issues that might be coming up Um, and they might not be might not seem huge now but might become significant in the future Um, it could be you know oh can you tell me about what's what's different about today and they'll they you know the conversation with the worker might be along the lines of you know the machine's making a different noise than it was yesterday or you know what i've worked at this plant before um i got transferred to this plant and you guys do things completely different um and this is why um but it's also like it, it but the the focus on the conversation around different is really about change like what is it that's different from yesterday um you know, is there anything that you didn't expect was going to happen that did happen? Can we talk through that? So that's where the, the difference been. Um, for us, it's for us. It's really helped understand a lack of standardisation between our work sites um, where we can go, well, why is that different to that site? To that site, why is that machine different to that one? Why is that technique different from here to here? Um, so, yeah, Gary, that, that's where we use different.
1: Oh, great. Okay. Well, thanks, guys, for uh, a brief introduction to the four Ds. Um, just want to look at some of the stuff in the chat panel and some questions. Like Rosa, you asked a question about this word "sense making" as being too academic. Can you open up your mic and just sh- share your thoughts a bit about that?
6: Ah, uh, sure. I, in fact, <laughs> I will confess that I used the word "sense making" when I was talking to a team that I was working with and they accused me of being too academic. Ah. Uh, And I I was kind of stunned in the moment (laughs) Um, because what we were doing was that we were were trying to uh, get consensus on the meaning of of a very difficult situation. And and I was just kind of stunned that uh, they thought it was a waste of time. And one of the reasons was that it was too academic. So I just wondered uh, if you had any thoughts, any of you have had any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, so, so fellas, have you, do you use the word sense-making or do you use making sense when, in your conversations? Brent, no, we you use, your head sorry, tell you us what's, what's dumb. dumb.
4: Yeah, <laughs>
5: we, we get, with the, with the construction guys, the word dumb is we've designed something that they're gonna put on a building somewhere. And they go why did you do it this way this is really dumb right so it's coming back to the organization Um, and you know there's been some discussions you know on linkedin about using dumb and it's you know not a good word to use but really it's the way that they see it and Mm -hmm. what we're asking them to do they go this is dumb if you just did this and that's the thing that i've really been blown away by when we've started these conversations is that they actually come up with the solution and they are they're not just driving safety They're driving um, everything from innovation to product improvement, you know. And in the context of what we're seeing, that's what blows me away about it. It's actually the first time that we're getting stuff flowing freely from the uh, frontline teams back up into the organization through the design, through project management, all the things that might be happening. Mm -hmm.
6: Mm -hmm.
5: So it's super powerful. Yeah, I might just. I mean, we're not in. None of
3: these D's are, are are. Intentionally, they're not deep dives into any of these things. We're scratching the surface of sense making and decision making, and it's really not to go there. I would suggest that, but um, one, you know, part of the difference is generational change and and um, turnover in the workplace. And and when you're having that conversation, sometimes in my industrial ops, uh, uh, common sense—the term common sense—comes up, and sure. um, some of these folks um, uh, 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 miss those years when they could rely on some kind of common sense. So to me, when we're when we're asking about what's dumb, what doesn't make sense, um, we're kind of getting over that old another generation's uh, dependence on common sense. And we're inquiring into what makes sense, how it makes sense, does it make sense? So um, sense-making in the loosest, uh, Rosa, the loosest sense probably of the term. Yeah.
2: Okay. And, you know, <clears throat> when we talk about dumb, we are looking at how the workers views the system. So, so, I, so really we're saying, as a worker, I am dumbfounded. Uh, mm, okay, okay. Then I'm like That I'm doing things this way. Yeah. It's not yeah. dumb in the sense of people are dumb. It's, it's my view of the system. It is the rub or the frictions that exist in black line, blue line. It, it is the things that I'm having to adapt and change which Rosa is what you asked about about dynamic risk. In dynamic risk, we have to adapt oh. because that risk is always changing. So the four Ds is that uh sense making if you want an academic term, a sense making mnemonic. Sense making mnemonic. Awesome. It's it's a sense making new mnemonic that yes. allows a, an appreciative understanding, so homage to Iggershine, so rather than appreciative um, inquiry, it's about appreciative understanding. Yeah. Mm. Nice. Through the lens nice. of the mm. worker, mm. not through the lens of the system, the lens of the worker. Yeah.
0: I just wanted okay. to ask a question picking up on this thread that you're unraveling, you know, about the generational changeovers, the stigmas, the biases, et cetera. For a long time, um, the workforce, and people have heard me say this before, have been told to do not think, right? Nobody really cares that you have an opinion or a brain in your head, just do the job that you're here to do. And so in my experience, this this attitude that's come, I'm going to use the word down here because it has from the hierarchy system in previous decades come down to the workers. Now you have a lot of workers who don't feel comfortable um, coming forward and risking talking, which is a big critical issue because there's so much wealth of information, like you were talking about they have solutions. They have innovative ideas. They have all of this locked in their brain. How does our generation crack that walnut open? Because there's a golden egg in there.
4: Nice. Ask better questions. Yeah. That's Yeah,
3: Tamara, you know, a century of that top-down sort of Tayloristic, don't think, just do as we say. and, And overcoming that, to go out passively at all and and begin to inquire. It's still maybe not safe, it, you know. So I think that um, what we've seen happen with the use of asking better questions, asking these questions, um, is it really shows we do care. We're specifically asking. We're not just uh, we're not just ceasing to uh, uh, push down. Um, we have to go more than our half of the way in this inquiry to 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 demonstrate we sincerely want to have this question and we sincerely value uh, that that other view. Um, so it's taking steps like this, I think, might be just begin to overcome that century of uh, of the opposite.
0: I'm going to yeah, push I'm back not... here for a second. I'm sorry to cut you off, no. but I'm going to. This is going to be an uncomfortable question that I'm gonna bring forward, okay? Because you guys- You ready, ready. Josh? You ready, guys? You're you're all white males. You're all white males of a certain privilege, okay? And so you're saying, oh, ask better questions. I'm gonna be quite candid with you. You can phrase your questions as delicately and nicely as you guys want. A lot of the workers I know would still not talk to you because they're scared, they're oppressed, They are marginalized, and as soon as you guys leave and you go back to your safe place up in corporate office, they are going to get pulled into the office, they are going to be reprimanded by management, and many of them, and if you know anything that's happening in Toronto right now with the metro grocery stores on strike, and this is a big reason for this happening, their hours get cut for work, for speaking up. This is the reality of the workplace, not as imagined in people's heads that you can just have these nice, open, better conversations, better questions, et cetera. How do we break the fact that for a lot of people, it is not safe to talk to you?
5: So Tamara, I can answer it. One of the ways that we've been doing it is that the guys on the construction sites that we're working with have a QR code on the back of their hard hat and they don't they don't have to tell us who they are they can just send something in and it just flows in um this freaks the safety people out sometimes because they go "Oh, we've got to fix that well no you don't they're telling you something and it's a bigger problem and it sort of feeds into that weak signals discussion we're going to have so it's open and you're right the organization has to be willing to listen but more than listen, that has to be willing to learn. And I think, you know, you're gonna have organizations out there that aren't ready for that. And you know, that's where it's gonna be. But once you start seeing the unencumbered, hey, this is what's happening, the context of what we're doing, um, and you're asking us to do, and you go, wow, you know, the first thing is, God, that hurt a little bit. That wasn't comfortable for us. But it can be anonymous. Um, And it's not forcing anybody to actually do anything. And so they have a, we, of the people that were on site around Australia that I was working with yesterday on seven different sites, there must've been 40 people across those seven sites. There was some four D's that were flowing into the business, into the organization. And, you know, we don't check who's doing them. We'll talk to the guys on site, maybe at a pre-start meeting or a step um, pre-start meeting. Um, and that conversational flow, then. But I take your point, yeah. We're uh, four white privileged males, and it's different in different in different um, different contexts for different organisations.
4: Yeah, so tomorrow that's one way we're it's a, with it. tomorrow. It's Josh. It's a, that's it's an excellent question. I mean, I'm I've worked with leaders who have said to me, "You mean you want me to give positive feedback for people doing their job?" you know, I, I only give positive feedback when they do something extraordinary. And I go, well, you know, what about your dog? Do you only pat your dog when it does something right? Or do you just pat your dog because it's the right thing to do and it loves it? So it is it is changing the lenses of leaders. Um But, and then you, I, I did like the example that you said is that, you know, someone will come out and they'll ask these 4D questions and they'll go away. And then the middle management come in and then they'll get almost like punished. Um, <laughs> The upper leadership needs to show that middle management that they are genuinely interested and they'll actually do something with this. Like I'll give you the example with the four Ds information. You need to close that feedback loop. Um, otherwise, it's just going out, having a chat and walking away and nothing gets done. Like to build trust and credibility with your workforce, particularly that middle management and leaders, you need to show that you've listened um, and that you're actually taking action with what you've learned from those four Ds as well. And that brings cred- credibility and trust
1: yeah go ahead jeff
4: one thing i heard i felt
3: uh listening to tamara's uh, awesome question was what came to mind is is what i call safety 1.5 and that is you know a safety one mindset using safety two language to go out and ask these questions but of an of an old school mindset and and that's like the weaponization of this, and and I guess there's some risk there. I mean, I'm I'm I think I'm really hopeful that anybody who who finds out about this and wants to go and 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 try asking these questions is of the right uh, sort of headspace to not play gotcha or not use these questions as a trap. Um, Uh, And I think, too, the person asking these questions, you're a human asking other humans questions. So there's an accountability there to to ask them sincerely, to hear sincerely, and to own that information. And and as Josh says, close the loop, do something with it. And so it becomes, um, there's an accountability there between humans, maybe, that I hope um, uh, uh, becomes more dominant or or more important than, certainly, more than anybody playing gotcha with, with these terms.
1: Yeah, okay. Well, what we have on the uh, in our audience are a lot of practitioners. They're interested in the how-to, and this is a how-to guide. So, I'm going to ask Brad Sutton. Can Can you just walk us through how the 4Ds are used by learning teams? Like, do you guys have a prescribed sequential process or method as you follow? What happens?
2: Well, well, that's the thing. I mean, first of all, the good thing about a learning team it should be organic by its nature. So uh, I might share with you an example. Uh, we were asked. Um, uh, we're, we're just wrapping up a, a project in the maritime sector across the entire maritime industry as part of a court process, and we've been working with about four hundred people through that um, through that process. And one of the organisations um, uh, was seeing symptoms of bullying and harassment, and and they asked us. To support them in running a learning team because they they felt that as an organization they weren't well equipped. And they said, Well, how are you gonna do it? And we said, Well, what we're gonna do, we're gonna come in um, and we're gonna ask the workers about normal work. And I arrived in the, in the in the room, there's a whole lot of a whole lot of people that are very skeptical about why they're being brought into a room. Okay, because normally they're only brought into the room when things are going wrong or they're being told off. And all I did is I put up on the board behind me the four Ds and I wrote the words down, dumb, dangerous, difficult, different. And we sat down and said, guys, I'm here to listen to you. Can you tell me about in your normal work? What are the things that you encounter that are fricking dumb? That don't feel right? That are harder than they should be? Or different from what you normally do and and i can tell you now guys the stories they shared because it's all about stories Mm. the stories they shared with us us all that rich context of all the conditions that existed in the system that were creating those symptoms and behaviors and what the organization learned through observing that was that when they go out to the field They are simply focusing on symptoms and behaviours and outcomes, and they're not seeing the conditions that are present that create that environment. And the 4Ds go straight into the conditions. Now, what shocked me was the fact that the safety team, two days later, said that this group of people are now actively engaging with us about the stuff they find dumb, dangerous, difficult, different. Whereas before, that safety team called that group a bunch of complainers. Oh, wow. And I would share with you that complaining was the only way of expressing how they cared because no one was listening.
0: I'm glad that you said that because that resonates, Brent, with... um, management calling the the workers children or mm-hmm. whiny yep
3: any in any infantilization 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 sorry it's early yeah <laughs> any any of that you're right Tamara. you're right yeah
2: yeah
1: okay
2: wow and it's that storytelling it is that storytelling and uh what you love uh rosa was that we, we were able, the feedback from the workers was how they psychologically felt afterwards. It's like there was a weight being lifted off them. And, and in the end, when we presented, the, presented this back to the senior leadership team and with, with the workers were present in the presentation, we were able to share stories of when workers felt that safety was being done to them, versus when safety is being done for them, mm-hmm. versus when safety was being done with them. And the organization sat there and said, and apologized to the workers for not supporting them.
6: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Because we removed that confrontation through storytelling, because yeah. it didn't talk about individuals, it talked about the system and the conditions in the system.
1: Yeah, it, it, for me, it comes back to you, Jeff. That safety one point five. We talk the, the safety two language, and but they do not realize they're stuck in that dominant safety one. Then it's like, oh my God, this is what we've been doing to the employees. So it is a it is a bit of awakening, which I, which I think is really really
2: good. That's cool.
3: high praise coming from the safety three guy. So thank you for that.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to get to two point one. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. You're way ahead.
6: Tamara, I have a question about sure. um because this is a, a, a how-to you're all external uh, consultants. Uh, looking nice. back on your experience as an internal, uh, what would you tell yourself that you know now that you didn't know then?
3: Josh is an internal. Yeah, Josh, I'm so internal.
4: Um yeah, so I'm I'm general manager for a, basically a service providing company to mining. So, twenty five different clients, nine hundred different employees. Um, what would I tell myself? Yeah, so good. Um, I want to come back to I've been asking the wrong questions. Going in and asking someone, hey, you know, I. Uh, Tell me a bit. Oh, I'd like to congratulate you on your housekeeping. This is really good. Oh, can you talk me through your task? Oh, look, I don't like the way you're wearing your gloves and I don't like the way you've got that set up. Can you and I agree to an action that you'll fix this um, and then that we way we can move forward? That's going in as a leader and the leader having the answers. What this has actually done is now approaching workers with this 4D is you're actually, you're together. It's actually like you're working on this together. It, they're better questions Um, And you're actually unlocking the richness through their eyes, not coming in and giving them the answers or thinking you've got to have the answers or thinking that, you know, everything Um, it's actually stepping back as a leader and actually being more humble. And the four D's is just an easy way to unlock that. Um, Rosa, someone, someone said to me that they got a copy of the book and they read it and they just, they said they took a lot of time reflecting and the big thing that they said to me that they reflected on the most is that a lot of the conversations they had in the field as a leader were purely transactional. It was never genuine about learning and being interested. I, th- I think the thing
5: that I get out of and it really resonates with what Josh is saying is I come from a, um, a lean background. That's where I started off my working life before it was called lean. That's how old I am. I'm not going to say how old I am, but it's been a while. And for the, for, you know, I came through businesses where we put, um, DuPont stop system and, and as a leader thought, Oh, that was a really good idea, you know? And then you finally get to the point point, go, God, that's such, that is not working for us. We're not learning anything. And so what I would go back and do is say, this really aligns with some of those lean, uh, those, quality things that Deming talked about and there's twelve points as does hop and it, you just have better conversations and you're learning stuff and it's when you're when you actually go wow if we'd known that three months ago if we'd known that four months ago and it's and as as I said before it's not just about safety it's other stuff that's coming through it's it's improvements in our system. It's improvements in our product that that are flowing through from these, and that's what's sort of blowing me away by it. And you know, I I transition between um, talking to companies as a external person, but also being a director of a, a business that puts facades on buildings. So you know, we've got a lot of people that we deal with. That when I walk in, you know, they see to um, some of the other points. They see me as the the leader coming in and. Uh, you don't learn anything that way. And to Josh's point, it just changes the whole, moves you from that transactional conversation to a, wow, I didn't know that. And, you know, and being humble about it and saying, okay, cool. We've really, we've, we've jumped, we've, um, we've moved on to the next section and it's so much cooler.
3: That's a great call. Out Bravo. To-
5: Sorry, calling out DuPont.
3: I wanted to refer to this sort of little school of thought of ours as Pont. But uh, I
5: was cautioned that that might uh, no. That might get a soon- it's got such connotations. <laughs> I think yeah. I've got a stop card like, over uh, here, actually.
6: I want to ask you
0: guys smart. actually a question, um, because I, I've had the opportunity to work on site, like in on the ground on site, and an opportunity to work in office. And this this is really a struggle in my brain is how. Those who work in, in office are treated so differently than those who are treated doing the site work and the actual work that physically makes money for the company to continue, right? Um, for example, in the grocery store, if you didn't have anybody in the bakery making the bread and selling the bread, et cetera, then you really wouldn't go so far in grocery, just as an example, quickly. And so I was, like, wondering, like, when I was working in head office, they would get to go to vision meetings and all these special brains um, thinking sessions and all of that, right? But when we were working the, the on site, people would come and train at us. It goes back to that conversation you were saying about doing safety with people as opposed to doing safety at people, or what was the – you used another word, too. But- yeah,
2: two for and with.
0: Yeah, that's right. So how could we start uh, flipping the s- script and flipping our thinking about giving those on-site people that same type of nurture for that engaging strategy, etc. I'd love to hear that.
3: Tamara, you you know what I thought when you asked that was that we've used terms like knowledge workers as opposed to you know those physical workers and in this space we're really i think those are horrible terms uh, we're really tapping into the knowledge of those frontline workers those frontline workers are are knowledge workers they're knowledge holders and and we're really appreciating that so when you mention that the difference between office and site um that's what came to mind was those old divisions to say knowledge worker versus physical worker and i think being of that mindset it, it's they're knowledge workers they hold critical knowledge to us in these complex times so
2: yeah yeah Look, it, it's it's interesting guys um a number of organizations we've been talking to who have been trying the 4ds that they they typically start with the 4ds in the areas of the business where they perceive risk and that's completely normal because that's the driver behind safety. But once the leaders have seen the operational improvement value of the 4Ds or the operational excellence value of the 4Ds, it is taken and then um, engaged in other areas of business around finance, around computing, around marketing. And, and what they've said is, is that the 4Ds is not about safety. And I think even, Josh, you had experience in your own business where you started with it and then how you've evolved it into other parts of the business.
4: Yeah, I mean, Tamara, we we led it from a safety point of view. We thought it would be safety discussions, like, you know, tell us what doesn't make sense from a safety point of view. But um, what what we found is, like, no one in the front lines is just interested just talking about safety. They want to tell you about their work. They want to tell you about all the rubs and everything like that. So... The first, we've we, tomorrow, we've only had it in place for six months. Um, and it has turned our business on its head. And the very first meeting, um, I think our CEO said, I, I reckon five, six times was like, I had no idea about that. So the, you know, for for a leader, you know, getting this feedback from the workers, you you've actually got to take. Got to be humble and go, well, why don't they just do that? You know, why why it, it's actually these conversations are about systems and workplaces and not just about not about people. It's about the system. Um and going back to Brent Robertson's point, it has just unlocked so much value um and made things more efficient, made things more standardized, and the business has just learned
5: mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you know the example I'd like to give you is we've got a design team and they're in the, they're in the corporate office and the project managers uh, give them a hard time because they miss dates because they haven't got the design ready or whatever it might be. And we use the four D's to understand what was going on. And, we, and, you know, it's amazing what people will just put up with just to try and get their job done. And what we found was that they had huge I.T. issues with our servers that were hosted in Singapore, and it was taking them 40 minutes to upload 3D models to Singapore. And that's what we, and we added it up over a week. We were losing half a person a week in time without they were doing that, and we used the 4Ds to do that. And it just you know you just go, "How did we not know this?" you know because we just we weren't seeing it as a safety issue, we are seeing it as a performance issue. And it was really super powerful to just turn that on its head, as Josh said, and go, wow.
1: Yeah, I want to turn our attention back to the book. And there's something in the book there which I want to share with everybody. Last month, we had Bob Edwards with us and Bob talked about blue line learning. So quickly, uh, if you want to use the terms, black line, that's work as imagined. And blue line is work as done. So I understand, fellas, that You found a way to visualize this. So can I, can you give us more insights? How did you do that? Uh, Who wants to talk about that, Um, Red Sutton or Josh?
2: Sutton does. Start with Josh.
4: Yeah. So look, when we introduced critical risk management into the business I work, we really tried to find a way to communicate that to the board. Like, what does this actually do? What does this mean? Um, they were used to the terminology of blue line, black line, and work is done and work is intended. But what we were trying to do is give them a visual tool to go, the blue line needs freedom to adapt in these areas. But when they're interacting with hazardous energy um, or sticky stuff that can kill you, um, we can't just accept that a piece of paper and saying, hey, don't touch the spinny thing is going to be enough. So we wanted to visualise um, where do critical controls and critical steps fit in to a worker's normal day-to-day. And we were able to, you know, lean on, I guess, <laughs> on the shoulders of giants. But we've been able to visualise where in a process that um, critical controls and critical steps are um, that we need as a business to control and know about and make it easy for workers to do the right thing, but also where are the areas where it's easy for a worker to adapt. So yeah, in chapter five of our book, what we've tried to do is give the community a tool to make it easy to communicate from board level to the frontline level. And we've, you know, we've gone out and applied this and they love it. They actually, they, they understand it from the frontline to the board. They actually really understand, right. These are, where our critical energies are, this is where a critical step is, this is where a critical control needs to be. But in this area, yeah, they're free to adapt. I don't know if you want to build on that, Sutton?
2: Yeah, because ultimately, um, I think an example, and a shout out to any of my friends from Schindler if they're on, on the on the call, but um, Scott at Schindler, he calls them swim lanes. So the job of the organisation is that we want to swim from one end to the other end. And we're going to have swim lanes on either side, but we're not going to tell you whether you can do that by butterfly or backstroke. But what's going to happen is those swim lanes are going to nudge you back in because we want the adaption to happen, but we don't want you to go outside the swim lanes because that's where the potential risk exists. So... This visualization technique we've created, which is not a mathematical model, it is a visualization model, shows you those swim lanes. It shows you, for those people from the quality world, it shows you the upper and lower control limits. Mm -hmm. And the four Ds shows you where people are at if they're moving up or they're moving down towards the hazard.
6: Mm,
1: nice, I like that. That's good, and I know yeah, that. Yeah, it's, years, it's
4: a, it's a good question there from Tenya. So I guess um, Tenya's just asked the question: Well, how do you know they've got it? Well, you know, we've actually um, gone out to the workforce, and when we've talked about the implementation of a control, um, and we've used this visual—I I don't like the term visual storyboard, but it's like a visual risk mapping—they um, understand that. In the work sequence why does a control need to be where it needs to be um, because they can actually visualize that the energy does increase in this area and that's we can't allow people to adapt in this area and that's why we need a control so i guess when i say yeah they get it the feedback's been quite positive from frontline workers to go that's really helped me understand why I'm checking that control, that's really helped me understand why that step's important and why you've highlighted it in the standard work instruction. And from the board, they've just gone, now we understand why we need to give capital and improve the controls in that area, because we can visualize that that area of the task, yeah, look, there's a slight likelihood that we may have a thing, you know, the worst that can happen is a hand injury. But in this area, we could actually kill someone. So we need to unlock capital and let you improve your controls. So when I, I guess when I use the term, they get it, there's been a demonstrated understanding from both workers and the board that they can understand work.
2: And they're also telling us when things don't work. So yep. we should have, a. I see Jim Moranis on the line, big shout out to Jim and, and Tony and Ron for their work with critical steps because we pay homage to their work through this notion of visualization. Right, right. So it's really, it's really important that the 4Ds can show us when when that blue line is moving away and when that blue line is moving down. Right,
1: cool, right, okay. Well, sometimes okay. I know that um, we don't know where to start and we think all this stuff, all oh, 4D. This is going to be a huge transformational change. However, Jeff, you mentioned there's a technique term, the Trojan mouse.
3: Can you
1: explain what that is?
3: Uh, Simple revolutionary acts. um, uh, Little little simple reversible experiments that we don't need to ask permission for. It it just comes from years of... um, feels like beating my head against the same spot on the same wall or 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 uh, or 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 struggling in um, helping organizations evolve um, by coming in the front door and and you know approaching it um i don't know uh, approaching this change or this evolution uh i think maybe incorrectly thinking that uh That it it was a big change or a big thing or required a big effort or a Trojan horse uh, to to go through the castle gates, because there's this big us and them and it's this just metaphorically it was just all wrong. Um, And so what we've seen has great effect. And and two, asking leaders to take a leap of faith into a new space uh, was not very effective. So by using using Trojan mouse experiments, repurposing a work observation, you know, one leader repurposing a work observation, flipping the script from Dupont to Newpont, shh, um, having a different four D conversation, owning that story, but but taking that nugget of proactive learning and improvement, that little Trojan a trojan mouse experiment yields this little story and that little story can be sent up the org chart as a as a success story of of proactive learning and improvement that was done with existing resources on existing time and yielded far greater benefit than than had been done previously so that's something a whole lot more tangible and when that goes up layers of the org chart each layer says hey that's a terrific little thing you did there you had a little interaction you learn something you improve something we like that let's see more of that Mm -hmm. and so i just found without going into large without going into significantly but making change in this resource constrained world just by repurposing things we already do uh, in these little safe experimental ways Um, and so we've just taken to calling that uh, the trojan mouse approach and um a lot of folks have had a lot of success just by um just getting out and doing in, in safe ways and, and not waiting for anything too large that requires permission or requires leadership to take a leap of faith. Um, I think every human being who has to go out and do a work observation can, can change their questions. A simple rebellious act. Go ask different questions without permission and see what you get.
4: Cool. Yeah, Gary, it's a move away from transformation and just, yeah. you know, those hundred small things, those hundred small nudges, like uh, an example we did is we just took statistics out of our communication to our workforce, just took it out, took away days lost, injury-free days, took all that crap out. Um, and then we took away Triff and we didn't tell anyone that we took it away. And these little nudges, and then you start showing what's actually important to the organisation and um, you know, what do you what are you making important when you communicate an event? Do you go, uh, everyone needs to retrain, everyone needs to reread this procedure? Do you take that stuff out and actually make it about the human? Going, hey, we learnt this when this event happened, and these are the things that went well. You know, changing the language of the of the business, but just doing it in really small, like yeah, using the tro- Trojan mouse to make small little changes rather than this. Uh, hey, look at the new poster, and we got new shirts, and we're going to do this theme. Um, it's moving away from that that thinking.
2: Well, and also, um, and when you do transformation, you know, you you, you get leaders buying because they're driving the transformation, and and many times you, you do get buying from the front line, but there's also what we call the frozen middle, mm. and the frozen middle is that group of managers who who live out these transformations that come about every year every six months, every three months. And what the Trojan mouse approach has shown that frozen middle is is around operational improvements and operational excellence. And when that frozen middle see the value in creating small change, then they want to take ownership. Mm -hmm. Because if that change is positive to the business, remember, they, they're getting it from the top. They're getting it from the bottom. They, they, they're, the, they're stuck in the center. If they can start to see the very front that, then they start to become the voice of change.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some of this They're the ones that
2: try to control change. Yeah. When
1: I was reading your book and your talk about Trojan mouse Jeff, made me think back all the years I took away senior leadership teams on three-day retreats to do mission vision values and I go back and think like what, what, what was I thinking at the time I think if what I would do differently is take away for three-day retreats and do the four d's so fellows where you sit in the middle what's well, dumb that's difficult, mm. right mm. I'd be really interested then from that it's like oh well, maybe there's a different strategy that will emerge as opposed to some milk and honey vision that's out there, which we will probably never get to anyways. Let's work with where we are today with limited resources and see where we can go from there and make these small things. And guess what? Some may go viral as well. And not only do we get the middle guys, that frozen middle, excited, <laughs> then we can move that up the ladder as well get the board excited and do the same stuff. So I love the 4D thing right through the whole organization. Really
3: you are okay. I'm just I tell you. I think we have to make it safe for those that frozen middle.
1: I, now
6: I you
3: know, yeah. you know what I feel. What Bob has to be muted, thank you. in these conversations, we've realized that, that that in this organizational change, there's a lot of folks through that middle layer that that are really at risk, and like they're in that sandwich, um, and so these little safe uh proactive stories of learning and improvement make it safe to communicate up it's it uh, all layers of the org chart yeah
1: yeah cool
6: okay i uh, i have been uh, in the midst of lots and lots of interviews with uh, osh professionals and a lot of them feel that uh, they're dis- they're not listened to their recommendations are overlooked disregarded ignored Um, And it seems to me that what we're talking about here um, would be a a great way for such a person to begin to create change without having to get permission, without having to get backing from from management. So how could we get uh, this information out to all of these uh, students (laughs) in the university who are going to be stepping into a career Mm-hmm. filled with uh, obstacles and uh, when when there are many things that they could be doing uh, that that could that would work. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it does it, it, it. it also connects with a question that um an ESH project lead in Ireland asked about how do we get my team to understand this? So I'll see what you're saying, Rosa, well, how do we get the education level down to the students well to start talking differently and asking better questions, right? So your thoughts or guys, what do you think? What, what can we do?
3: Rosa, when you were saying that, it, what came to mind was in past years, a lot of, attending a lot of uh, traditional safety conferences. And um, what I was seeing was a lot of speakers coming in that were from a sales perspective, a lot of keynotes or presentations from sales gurus. And, and a lot of the messaging some years ago was, how do we sell safety better? How do we, what can we learn to like sell this down? And I thought, wow, you're learning how to sell harder and nobody's questioning what it is you're trying to sell. And I think, uh, question your product. Like, like in safety, you know, it should be flying off the shelves. If we're doing it right, it shouldn't be a hard sell. So I've always thought, you know, if we're, we had to learn from sales gurus how to push our safety one thinking. And we never really question that safety one thinking. I, you know, I think it, It's an excellent question. And, and, um, you know, going back to an earlier point made about confidentiality, you know, confidentiality is, is something that's offered, I think, in beginning these conversations in case people in certain areas need it and require it. Um, and, and two, the amount of, of prep that has to be done for the, that, those basic assumptions in the safety professionals and switching to that questioning of their, you know I never questioned my black line, for instance, I just enforced it. Now I question my black line. Um, safety hasn't questioned what it was selling. And now I think it really needs to look empathetically at what it is that it's selling. And I think these questions get us over that um, with minimal preparation and,
4: and um, um, effect on basic assumptions. Yeah, Rosa, um, Dave Proven, and I think David Wood is the one who came up with the term, but, you know, what's your role as a safety professional when you come out, when when you're new, what do you think your role is? And your role is to create foresight about the changing shape of risk before it leads to harm. And how do you do that? You could use the four Ds to go and ask better questions and understand normal work, and that you will make a bigger impact on the business than rolling out a hands and fingers campaign
2: mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I out. think from my from my perspective, Rosa, we're asking people to listen and not judge. Mm. And our observation is listening is really difficult for some people because they have been predicated on this notion of find and fix. Mm. And we're trying to say that the 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 paradigm shift is to listen understand, learn, mm-hmm. and then improve. So just imagine we're trying to slow a little bit down. But what's interesting is that once lead, and leaders have said to me, we didn't know how to listen. Yeah. Okay. And and they thanked us because they've said, you've actually given us the space to listen because the 4Ds has created that permissions thing with the front line where the frontline aren't expecting them to actually fix stuff. And so it's a bit like, no one knew how to have a good conversation.
0: Great conversation.
1: It is is the top of the hour. So, um, you know, as you know how we always wind it up, I always ask for the three takeaways, but since we have four authors, I'm gonna ask for four takeaways. And I would like to ask each of our authors that we have, what would be the one takeaway you would like to leave today's group? So let's start off with Josh. What would you like to
4: leave? Um, This book really is written from a practical aspect. Um, It is aimed at frontline supervisors all the way up to board level. It is written in that language and that way to help you really unlock value in your business. It will be overwhelming what you will learn that's probably the one thing that i will leave you with that it will be it it will like come at you and you will learn so much and it can be overwhelming just do the trojan mouse one bite at a time just one little nudge one change one learning cool. that's i'll great. leave it at that but please this um that that book is written very practically minded great, great.
1: brent Sutton what's
2: your one takeaway that uh,
4: leveraging on from Josh
2: is that sustainable change, change that sticks, only happens in small increments. Big wow. change never sticks. So the Trojan mouth is that strategy to create sustainable change. Right, great, Brett
1: Robinson.
5: Um, for me, it is, we started it with safety in mind and it's moved right across the whole business. So it's about improving the business and, you know, that's what's blown me away. It's uh, been a really, really interesting process to watch that from the front and driven from the front line. You know, it's everything that, you know, we've wanted and I think everything that Deming probably wanted as well. So I'm really enjoying that at the moment. Okay, and last but not least, Jeff, what's your one takeaway? Uh, really foundationally, I would
3: say that um, the 3Ds originated way back in the military in a kind of a command and control sense, and it was about the person. It was directed at the person to not do anything dumb, dangerous, or different. And the, 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 the big thing I would want to say is that remember that this is about the system. We're, we're asking people for their reflections on the system. Um, so we're valuing the people we're respecting the people in their intelligence and insights. It's the system that we're inquiring about and asking about. So I would say that's fundamental, especially when it comes to anybody hung up on the D word uh, or sorry, the dumb word, they're all D words, right? Um, When we're asking about what's dumb, we're asking what doesn't make sense about the system. We're not, we're in no way um, being critical of the people.
1: Great. Okay. Well, thanks everyone for coming. And tomorrow over to you.
0: Thanks Gary. And thank you to all our speakers, Brent, Jeffrey, Brent, (laughs) and Josh, for coming and spending your time today, but also for opening up the opportunity for that conversation, because I actually feel today that the workforce is giving an opportunity to have some voice, and that's a great step that we're moving forward. So thank you for that. And thank you to our audience for once again coming and joining us for the hour and uh, sharing your thoughts and um, insights with us, because without you, we wouldn't have this show. So thank you, everybody, and stay safe. Thanks, all.
1: Thanks,
6: Thanks. yeah.